Up next on episode 53 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Will Shipley of Delicious Monster to discuss the shifting sands of Apple and Microsoft APIs, the value of software development conferences, intuition versus empiricism for developers, and parrot programming from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Do you still mostly work from a, from a cafe? Oh, every day. Really? Is it just oh, yeah. a regular Starbucks? Uh, no, it's, it's like a local Seattle chain. I'm not, not a big fan of Starbucks, actually. Is it, uh... I mean, it's not really very fun to work out of a Starbucks because it, you know, it's kind of like working at a bank lobby, you know, it's not, <laughs> there's not a lot of character going on there. No. What, uh, um, is it, uh, um, are you, are you allowed to say what the cafe is or are you too afraid Yeah, it's, it's, it's called Zoka in Seattle. Oh. I actually work out of the university Zoka. On university, but, is it on university Ave? No, they just called that because it's close to the to oh. the whole university area, and it lets students know that they can go there and be incredibly loud and annoying all day. Mm-hmm. Well, you must like it because you go back every day. Well, I actually tried going to a different one that was less students, but what I discovered is that um, is that thirty year olds in Seattle are way more annoying than students because they're like being their babies and yeah, that stuff. So. <laughs> uh, our guest today is Will Shipley, uh, the creator of Delicious Monster. Did I yes. say that right, or is it... Uh, no. Well, well Delicious Monster is the company. Delicious Library is, is our first application. Oh, right, right, right. That's okay. Cool. And the other thing the other thing that's cool about uh, Will is that, like all really cool developers he's actually worked on, he's written a web browser, which he mentions several times a day on Twitter. That, oh, that's yeah. the... Uh, 100, 100 times a day. That's, uh, <laughs> There's a special <laughs> hashtag I actually have for mentioning web browsers. It's uh, OmniWeb, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was that was there a next version of that or am I confused? Yeah, that's why we wrote it. Is you know in the old days, sort of our our charter mm-hmm. uh, at Omni was to do what was necessary to keep uh, to keep Next going. You know, it was such a small platform. Really? Wait, did that, somebody pay you to do this or or was no? It, it was just something I knew I had to do because I knew that you know we had to sort of break the Microsoft hegemony and uh, and Next? so ever since yeah. I was about fifteen, I said you know. I need to support whatever technology is the best technology right now so that I can sort of move on with technology. So I, uh, I got into next in college and, uh, and basically just did whatever they, they needed. You must be exactly my age because I tried to get into next in college, but they wouldn't send me one. Yeah. I got lucky with that because, uh, God, think of how the world would have been different if they just sent you a damn next. Um, <laughs> well, it was like a developer program. There's an academic developer program or something, and I applied, and they just ignored me. Yeah, it was a weird company. I mean, it, it was really strange because it was, you know, Steve's, uh, yeah, you know, Steve's chance to be knocked on his butt and learn a little, uh, 
humility, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really good for him. I mean, he would not have been able to come back and make Apple so successful if he hadn't, you know, really tasted failure in the form of Next. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but we were lucky because at the University of Washington, there was a guy there who was sort of, you know, in with Steve from the old days. And so one of our, you know, IT guys at the UW actually, you know, ordered like, I don't know, 100 Next or something from the very first batch. So, Jeff, I have uh, some news this week, which I just blogged about. This is the first time I actually did something for Stack Overflow. <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> which is, it's like the second time. Second uh, we've, time. we've set up a series of uh, developer days, Dev Day, Stack Overflow, Dev Days. Uh, a little bunch, it's a bunch of one-day miniature conferences, sort of like a tasting menu on all kinds of different developer topics, uh, which we're going to do in five different cities. Let's see. Um, what are the topics? I haven't I haven't gotten speakers lined up yet, but I have sort of half commitments from people. But I haven't got the you know you have to get the dates first before you can get the commitments, and then you got to get the bringing a conference together requires a lot of things that are catch twenty twos. Here is my list uh, of topics, uh, and we, what we want to do is have it just be a whole day with a bunch of like maybe half hour, forty five minute tutorials on a like a really really wide diverse spectrum of topics uh we got android iphone uh, development android development this thing called google app engine which is like writing code that runs on the google servers uh we might do like a python session because that google app engine stuff is supposed to be written in python oh, i think that'd be cool yeah, that'd be cool uh we got a jquery thing because that's really the the new hotness um, ASP.NET MVC is the new Microsoft hotness, and that's what Stack Overflow is written in. Uh, we'll be launching Fogbug 7.0, so that's just buried in there subtly. Are we going to get any iPhone yeah. dev stuff in there? Yeah, I got that iPhone and Objective-C. Cool. And, uh, awesome. and hopefully a, a session on Mercurial uh, or distributed version control, something like that. Ooh, that's a really good menu. I like it already. I yeah. want to go to this conference. Okay, well, you're, you're, you're already scheduled <laughs> to go in San Francisco. Uh, yes. and you have to speak. <laughs> I'm going to yes. be at all five. Th- let me tell you what the cities wow. are. It's going it's happening in October. Uh, here's the the schedule is um, San Francisco, Seattle, Toronto, London, and Washington D.C. Those five cities. Cool. And sounds, um, like, hmm? sounds like fun. Yeah. Hey, Will, will you come to the one in uh, Seattle? I might oh, come to one in San, San Francisco. Francisco. I'm moving in two weeks. Really? Yeah. Yep. Just to house. be closer to Jeff. No. Yeah, I was, you know, we had to admit our love eventually. <laughs> Just to be further from Microsoft? Uh, actually, that was a big part of it. <laughs> you know, Honestly, funny I mean, that's actually it's, partially it's, true. it's a lot really more fun to be Microsoft. in San Francisco if you're in this in the Mac business, you know? I guess so. Because, you know, I'm close to Apple, close to Pixar, close to all those things. Right. But Apple will break your heart, Will. Uh, every big company will break your heart. It's just a question of, like, what technology you, you believe in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not an Apple loyalist. I'm just loyal to what I think is the best development environment. And this, the minute somebody comes up with something better, I'm I'm gone. You know, I'm not like, cool. oh, I love Apple and I love everything Apple does. Well, after this conference, you're going to be all over the Android jQuery interface. Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of you know would be. I mean, you know, Next Step's been around since '89. Uh-huh. And I've been praying since '89, and I've seen a lot, a lot of you know interfaces since then where people have been like, "Oh no, this is the new thing. This is the hot thing. This is gonna be so cool." Yeah, like Microsoft comes up with a new set of frameworks every other year, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. going back to the remember back when they had the uh, everything was direct. Oh, like direct, direct, X, direct, play. direct action, direct query, direct live, direct this, and then 
Yeah. Then they're like, no, everything is going to be, what was the next one? Active. Active, yeah. So then it was active this. And then they said, no, no. Now it's .NET. Yeah. And then they're like, active.net, uh, live net. And then now, now, everything's, now everything's live, right? That's the new thing, live. Live, live. Query, but, Will, live no, this year, these are the really good APIs this year. You see, yeah. this year it's going to be different than all those other years. Yeah, this no. Year. Really yeah, good I, ones I, this year. I, I totally believe it this time, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 100% <laughs> likely. Good. Yeah, and so exactly. every time somebody asks me about the newest, you know, whatever framework, whether it be Java or whatever, I'm mm-hmm. always like, well... You know, I, I I admit I don't have any experience with this framework that doesn't exist yet. But what I do have experience with is is you know the set of developers. And so I just don't believe it. But one day, one day I'll be proven wrong, and I'll be happy. And then you'll move back to Seattle. So you bought a house in San Francisco and everything. What what neighborhood are you moving to? Uh, Castro, actually. Oh, you got a cafe lined up? Uh, not clear. There's apparently one called Cafe Flore, which looks really nice, right? Yeah. On market. Ooh, good breakfast. So. But I don't, yeah, and they also, well, they also serve booze there, which I think is just awesome. And I've always thought, why don't cafes do this? Because there have been many times that, you know, when I'm working at Zoka, when, you know, somebody will just really get to me, and I'm just like, God, I wish I could have a drink. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, how nice would it be to just be at work and be like, coffee, coffee, you know what, mojito. We have, uh, we just, have beer at Fog Creek, but uh, nobody ever drinks it. Well, that's kind of a really? great area when you're at work. <laughs> Just popping open a frosty one in the middle of the day. It's a little weird. Well, maybe. I think you'll agree, Joel. Yeah, anytime after 11 a.m., I guess. <laughs> well, well, we used to have a be... full bar at Omni, but um, that that went away when when I was asked to leave. The bar was also booted away. So You mean you took it with you? <laughs> yes. Actually, yes, I did take it with me. <laughs> All right, I'll leave, but I'm taking the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the drinks. I took the drinks and my cat, actually. So, because oh. we it, had an office cat. Well, we had two office cats. I'm, I'm oh, one of your cats uh, was an office cat. Uh, yeah, Schmop was an office really? cat. But oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Very cool. So, Will, I have something I want to talk about. Like the first time I sort of discovered you, I'm looking at my blog. This is in July 2005. That sounds dirty. Yes. And the you had written this. You had given this really cool presentation called. How to succeed writing Mac software, or how to make a zillion dollars and not lose your soul. That was and in uh, Chicago, right? I have forgotten. It was in Chicago. Uh, no, yeah, was that in... presentation was uh, oh. uh, the student presentation, right? Oh. Yes, it was for and students. It was it was at it was at uh, WWC okay. down in down in San Francisco. And actually, that was the last time I was allowed to speak in front of students because I I pissed off management. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's an awesome presentation. It it it's just really fun, really interesting, and really sort of gets to the heart of why writing software is is sort of a joy for people, you know, and that you can actually be successful at it, and particularly yeah. within your niche, which was you know Mac software. And I thought you did a fantastic job of explaining it. And one of the things I like about this is there's a there's a slide titled "Why would you listen to me." <laughs> and so here's here's Will's credentials. I've started two Macintosh software companies. I've been in the business for 20 years. I roll in a totally pimp ride. Uh, food <laughs> won't be served for another hour, and I promise you success. So I was totally sold by that slide. I was like, wow, this Will Shipley guy is, is really cool. Um, yeah, and he had a neat message. It, it's always so, the case that food won't be served for another hour, too. So it, it applies no matter where you are. Did anybody call you on that? Uh, call you in on that uh, promise? Like, was there a money-back guarantee kind of thing? or? 
Actually, there was a money back guarantee, and that was part of the fun because you know it was, <laughs> it was free talk, free talk for them. So I was like, whatever. But I mean, it was fun because I like I like giving that talk because afterwards, um, one student came up to me and said, uh, you know, after listening to your talk, and and the whole point of the talk is is that you know you have to do where your passion takes you. You have to sure. you have to be there, um, and it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, you just have to do it and do a super good job of it and uh, and not worry about sort of the money and everything else. And then sort of the punchline of that whole talk was that, you know, when I'm promising you success, I'm not actually promising you money. What I'm promising you is you'll be happy if you're working in, you know, if you're doing something that you really, really, really love. And uh, and so after this, this kid came to me, he's like, you know, wow, you know, I listened to your whole talk and that was great. And these are scholarship kids who were, you know, Apple was paying for them to be there uh, because they thought they were sort of, you know, up and coming computer guys. How does Apple and, identify these people? Uh, there's some scholarship uh, application form for college kids where they can say, "I want to go to WDC this year, and I'll be." Um, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but oh, the, the oh, kicker, it's a scholarship to WWDC. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the kicker was that uh, was that this kid comes up to me, he's like, "Well, you know, you really clarified things for me, and I've just realized that, you know, after listening to your talk, that I need to become a priest." And I was like, "Bah ha 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 ha." <laughs> and he's like, no, totally serious. Like, you know, that's what I've always sort of wanted to do. And I thought I shouldn't. And just after listening to you, I realized I have to become a priest. And I'm like, so, you know, I think it's a good talk. You can get <laughs> someone to join the priest, you know, while giving a computer talk. Well, didn't you have a run-in with some monks recently? I remember you talking about that on Twitter. Speaking of religious yeah, persuasions. Yeah, a, a, a monk. There's a, there was a monk who uh, is is hiring this this architect friend of mine, uh Michelle Kaufman, who's actually leading the world in in uh, eco designs, uh, really really fascinating stuff. Um, and I was at some, I was actually at a salon she threw, and I've got to say, I understand how pretentious that sounds. That was that's not my wording. I didn't, I, I didn't come up with the wording salon, but um, salon but like s I, like why is the emphasis on the why is it it being known? Oh, didn't, don't you remember? You're old enough. Salon. Don't, don't even front. No, no, no. If you salon. say salon, your hair falls out. Oh. Don't you remember that that old Salon. SNL team where the no it's like they're making fun of the Paul Mitchell ads. Oh, put him in the salon. Like, and, and he's like, and he's like, this shampoo is salon. And somebody comes up to him and says, <laughs> salon. And he goes, no, if you say salon, your hair falls out. It's salon. <laughs> so well, I, now, I, ever, now I know what's going on. Ever since then, whenever somebody says salon, I'm always like salon. Salon. It's yeah. it's either it's either French. Or like, you know, Southern Hick. Yeah, I think they were going for Euro trash, Euro whatever. trash or Southern Hick. Yeah. yeah. But I just I feel like you just can't say the word salon without having your tongue in your cheek. I mean, you know, you you got to have a sense of humor when you say the word salon, no I, matter what. I have a I have a listener question to play, which is right on topic here because uh, we've been talking about WWDC and and Dev Days. Hi, Jeff and Joel. My name is Chris Johnson. My question is, uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on the value of attending conferences. Um, I can see where they're very valuable if you're if you have a product to promote or if you're doing a presentation. But if you're just someone who wants to learn some things, become a better developer, uh, is attending conference a good use of time and money, or are there better ways to do it? Thank you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this off by saying absolutely not. Unless it's the Stack Overflow Dev Days conference, which is only <laughs> because it's only ninety nine dollars. It's only one day, and if you live in one of those five cities, we come to you. You don't have to pay for all the travel and stuff like that. Oh, uh, that is nice, actually. 
Yeah. I like those one day conferences. Apple started doing them and they are uh they they are way better than uh WWDC for the really? for the bang, money. Bang, bang, bang for, the for buck. buck yeah. Sure. How much does I mean there's WWDC like it's a standard conference is a week and it's like fifteen hundred dollars and yeah. Even at that and the price, food, food is atrocious. I've got to get this in. Yeah, the food WC is the worst ever. They're under contract with the damn, you know, with the damn, you know, organization. You can't serve other food. Yeah, oh it's, my God. Do, they do it at Moscone usually, right? Yeah, and so it's the Moscone caters, and it's just right. like it's like being in lunch line again. You know, you you're like, I I can't believe I've hit this level of success, and I still have to eat like you know creamed corn. Well, and, I mean, where how are you going to cook? Honestly, how would you cook good food for like eighteen hundred people that have to be honestly, served in a forty minute period? At 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 oh my god I'm I can't believe I'm saying this at TED this year, uh they had the same. <laughs> well, problem. when I was at TED, <laughs> I know yeah. I'm so sorry. You can edit this out, turn it into like at you know NASCAR racing this year. Um, we had the same problem where they rented this new venue and they weren't they they had they came with the you know with the city caterers and it was just horrifying. Yeah. But then the last day they had a little offsite picnic for the whole group and uh, and these these guys came in and they were. It was the best food I'd ever had, and they served it to you know everybody. And they just wow. there are catering companies that do this. The problem is not it's expensive, is what. The, the, well, yeah. yeah. When I you, mean, I, I know this because I've been putting on this conference called the Business of Software, where actually mostly Neil Davidson is doing the work, um, but I've been sort of you know providing the branding, and and the costs of a of a full flown full full fledged conference like that are just outrageous. I mean, this Business of Software is worth it, but I mean, it costs fifteen hundred dollars, and and the, the the sponsor of the conference is losing money at that kind of price. Um, somebody told me, a little bird told me that the cost of, uh, what was that conference we were just at, Jeff? Mix, right? Microsoft Mix. Yep. In Mix. Las Vegas. Yep. That um, the cost of that whole thing was, uh, to Microsoft, was about $5,000 per attendee. Really? And, yeah. And, and what, what happens is, first of all, you, you, you if you want to do it in a hotel or one of those convention centers or something like that, they require you to book to guarantee a certain number of rooms in the hotel will be occupied by your attendees because the only reason they have those ballrooms is to sell hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. So you have to commit to a certain number of hotel rooms, and if nobody shows up, you got to pay for them yourself. And then you got to use the hotel caterer, and everything is ridiculously expensive. One of those urns of coffee is $1,000 per urn. No. Yep. Yep, and that's really? and that's that's pretty typical actually. That's not like outrageous or the most expensive. Uh, you try to do a conference in New York. If you decide you want to have like a coffee break for for your attendees, it's twenty five dollars per attendee for for tea and coffee, and no snacks, no food, just tea and coffee. Uh, I I would assume those urns are actually full of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it tastes, it tastes like better. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not even good. Co- it's not even remotely good coffee usually. Yeah, uh, no, I so, skip conference. Co- yeah, and then there's all the travel for everybody, and I mean those things are just like gigantic, gigantic money pits. So um, uh, with the uh, you know the, the the truth is that the attendance at, at the at the big conferences is way down because of the cost, um, and it's really only worth going to one of those if it's going to be fantastic. And I usually will pay at Fog Creek. We'll pay for anybody in the company to go to one conference a year. They can pick one. Um, this year, they all want to go to the business of software because it's sort of a star-spangled list of uh, speakers. But it's worth going if you either want to hear a lot of the speakers, there's something they're going to say that you think you can learn from. Or, you know, if you're working in a particular technology, you know, the vendors, that's obviously WWDC for Apple. Um, I think, I mean, Will, you probably don't care very much, but but for an average Apple uh, developer, you know, out in the heartland or something, this is probably the only chance you're going to get to catch somebody who can answer your questions on some deep, dark, detailed technical issue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, this is part of why I'm moving. It's it really is because every time I'm down there for WC, you know, Apple has figured it out in recent years, and they actually just they realize the the actual sessions aren't as important as just having the engineers in the hallways. Mm-hmm. And they actually just took over the hallways. They just camp in the hallways. They have little sort of sections where they're like, this section is for keychain engineers, and you oh, just cool. You just wander around, and this is the only time, I mean, literally the only time during the year, that you're allowed to just walk up to an engineer and say, you know, hey, I'm having trouble with keychaining, and say, oh, I didn't work on that, but Bob did. Hold on, Bob, come over here. You know, and yeah. it's it changes everything. You can just you can get 17 questions answered in an hour that yeah would have taken you yeah. all. Year. The stuff, uh, this, especially the stuff that's never properly documented in the API documentation. Yeah, like um, which it would be in keychain. Right. An excellent example would be keychain. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> kind, of, kind of everything. If you're, if you're using some part of an API that's not standardly used by everybody, you're, you're in a deep dark. I know that uh, our guys working on Copilot um, f- for the Mac, you know, basically had all kinds of issues that, that they got solved in about 10 minutes at WWDC. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, huge fan of that. Yeah. So, and then the Microsoft equivalent is the Professional Developers Conference. Uh, Google has started running a thing called Google I.O. They already had uh, the first one, and I think the second one's coming up real soon now in about a month. And, uh, you know, if you're working on those specific technologies and you just want to kind of improve your your knowledge of those things, then those conferences are probably worth it as your, you know, your once-a-year conference if you have a budget for that. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's fun as hell to, you know, to be with, you know, 4,000 like-minded people and go out drinking and Mm-hmm. I mean, the contacts you make like that are absolutely invaluable. It's, it's, yeah. You know, once you've gotten really drunk with somebody and you know, <laughs> killed a hooker in a hotel room, then I mean, you know, you're you're bonded. You're doing business. You know? This is my theory of the Stack Overflow Dev Days. Here's what happens: we're going to do like introductory topics, uh, like an intro to iPhone development, an intro to Android development, an intro to jQuery, like very very low level stuff. And if you already know this stuff then just leave, get up and go out to the hallway and you'll be hanging out with all the other iPhone developers from your town. If you're in Seattle, you'll, that's where you're going to find all the iPhone developers in Seattle. So actually the hanging out in the hallways when you're cutting the sessions that we've set up for you is, is going to be probably just as valuable as actually, exactly the actual content that we can give you up on stage. Yeah, I, I don't even, I don't, I honestly don't go to the sessions at WC anymore because they put out DVDs for that and so I'd rather just Cruise the hallways. Use the time to socialize. Yeah. No kidding. Way more fun. And way more way more productive, you know. Yep. I mean, I, I'll sit down with the guy who wrote Core Animation and talk about timing issues, and it's, you know, it's just, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. The next well, I, I, I will point out one, one criticism I have of Apple as far as being a developer-oriented company is they're, they're so secretive. Like, that whole thing with the NDA on the iPhone was so ridiculous, you know? Like, you yeah, can't no, talk I mean, about it. Is, it is a crazy... Um, control freak company. It is. It's full of control freaks, and it's, it's, it's not mm-hmm. fun when you're when you're dealing with that aspect of and, it. And I think for de- for development stuff, that's kind of a bad. That's good for releasing new awesome products, right? Like right. If you want to surprise the, everybody, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great for your launch. You know, you don't you don't have that. You know, Microsoft. We've been working on Vista for seven and a half years now, and so it kind of you know limps yeah. out. And it's like, oh my god, what took you guys? With Apple, they're like, hey, guess what? iPhone. And, you know, honestly, I don't even know how long they worked on the iPhone. And, you know, I'm pretty close to Apple. Yep. I know it was a lot longer than people think. Probably. But I don't, I don't know the actual number. It's probably the Newton team. Has just been yeah, well, that's away. the Yeah. <laughs> it, it could have been in the works since 97, right? We have no idea. And that was really clever of them because rather than being, you know, sort of Duke Nukem iPhone. Yeah, where sure. We're just Duke waiting Nukem and waiting forever. and waiting. It was just totally, uh, it was totally like, 
you know, came out of nowhere and we were all like, oh my God, iPhone. You know, uh, yeah. I, Microsoft it was, was uh, although had, they had no intention of being FUD-like, there was one particular PDC that I went to in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I can't tell you what year it was, but it was called the Longhorn PDC and they were announcing their brand new operating system, Longhorn. And they told you about all this new stuff and there were a lot of highly technical sessions and how to program for all these new APIs that were coming out. Uh, and all that stuff was canceled. And the whole yeah, plan that they announced at that conference, they just changed their mind uh, somewhat after that conference, mostly after the feedback they got from the conference. So it might have been somewhat valuable <laughs> to Microsoft. But anybody who paid... For them. Yeah. You feel a little silly. <laughs> but like, I mean, I'm yeah. glad I could be your unpaid consultant. I mean, wait, I paid you so I could be your consultant. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you'd spent a week, I mean, you've missed a week of work. You've flown out to Los Angeles. You've stayed in an expensive <laughs> hotel. You paid a thousand and whatever for this conference, which was probably highly subsidized by Microsoft to, to, to subsidize basically the, the union workers in the convention halls in, uh, in California. And, uh, and, you know, and you learned about a whole bunch of technologies that uh like like uh, what was the win fs that uh, were just canceled and will never ship wow true i, I mean would, there's I definitely would, a disadvantage of talking about it too early but yeah. i think once it's out i think the lease should be off and that's what was crazy sure. about the nda was that like, was weird the product was out right. and they still had this crazy leash on and that drives me a little bit crazy when it comes to apple it's like i think they take their secrecy just to ridiculous extremes that don't even make sense so right yeah i think i think yeah. it drove all of us crazy i mean there's no doubt that that was you know that was a rallying point for everyone who works on the iPhone as something where we all said, Hey, this has gotta this has gotta stop. It's just silly. And honestly, I didn't find it as as obstructionist for me personally. I just I wasn't as obstructed by it as I was sure. you know, just kind of mildly annoyed that, that they were doing this obvious PR gaffe. Well they went um, for six months, nobody published any books about iPhone development, right? Or yeah. More, yeah. And there were all these well, issues I, like some university wanted to have a course and the university is like, well, what can we do? Because we want to teach iPhone development, and we're we are legally bound not to do that. And how <laughs> it was, you know, it's bizarre stuff. And uh, I don't know. Eventually, Apple's, you know, when things senses. get bad enough, they say, oh, well, that was dumb. Uh, sorry about that. We dropped it. And you know, so whenever I see something like this, I just go kind of sigh. Great. You know, now I get to spend another six months fighting until they admit that they were wrong and they'll do the right thing. Well, it sort of you benefited know, Stack Overflow because Stack Overflow sort of became one of the key hubs of, you know, iPhone SDK questions and answers. Yeah, well, I mean, did, you guys, there's, like, that's, that's there's true always, everything, though. Yeah. What's that? There's always some guy that would come in and say, oh, wait, this is under NDA. You can't talk about this. I mean, it did affect us. <laughs> oh, actually. really? They, they were annoying. I swear to God, there were users, you can't talk about this. This is under NDA. And I was like, this is ridiculous, you know? <laughs> that's just so. a per- certain personality type that will be like... <laughs> so there's always like... a couple of, in, in any group of programmers, <laughs> right. as you well know. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I'll so gladly, that is if... that is behind us. Now, another thing I want wanted to mention is that we're Joel and I are sort of agnostic when it comes to unit testing. Like I, I'm totally pro testing your app. I mean, mm-hmm. testing it—that's a no-brainer, right? But wait, you like in terms test? of I don't, I don't doing it as that. unit testing. That's where it gets a little sketchy is like where's the value proposition and i want to just read this one little section that i quoted on my blog because it turns out you're very anti-unit testing (laughs) a little bit and i wanted to read this one little section uh it says here and this is from your blog entry uh i don't remember the title in front of me but you should test test and test and test but i've never ever seen a structured test program that didn't a take like a hundred man hours of setup time B, didn't suck down a ton ton of engineering resources, and C, actually found any particularly relevant bugs. Unit testing is a great way to pay a bunch of engineers to be bored out of their minds and not find much of anything. 
So, yeah, I th- on that? the the uh, the problem with that blog entry was that uh, I didn't really define what I meant by unit testing, mm-hmm. and um, I guess different people mean different things. And I was trying to go off of sort of this thing that I had learned at uh, working for Macaw Cellular um, back at the time, which became AT and T Wireless. Um, and, uh, and so, and so people are like, you know, well, you know, like, like for example, the core data team at Apple took, you know, real exception to this. They're like, if there weren't for this, you know, kind of testing, uh, you know, there just simply wouldn't be a core data. And I'm like, no, no. I mean, if you're writing a framework that, you know, all it's supposed to be is a framework that works with other people's code, of course you want to have an automated test suite. I've got nothing against that per se. But there's a certain thing that was in vogue for a little while, and I think it's kind of died off, actually. There's a certain thing that was in vogue for a little while where you would write a program, and then you'd write another program that would call every, like, function in the first program, and it would, you know, just, it would just, like, fake up parameters. It would be like, you know, I'll call this, this, this program, this, this function, you know, uh, add two arrays, and uh, I'll pass in this fake array and this fake array, and then I'll check the results. And then every time you know I make a change to the program, I can run the second program and check every single function in the first program, which on paper sounds great. I mean, you can see why managers love that, right? Mm-hmm. But but God, that doesn't work in practice <laughs> because you know you've written you've you you have to write code to test every line of code you write, and you know I think you know anyone who codes can see the the immediate uh, uh, problem where you've got an iterative. Well, what happens if you've got bugs in your test code. Oh, well, you have to write, you know, 10 lines of code for every line of test code that to test the test code and and so on. You need test for test for the test code. Yeah. Um, let me play a question which is sort of related to this. Hi, Jeff and Joel. This is Clay Nichols in Blacksburg, Virginia. I've got a question about intuitive coding. Um, I'm working in a 10-year-old code base. I've been the only coder for it. And I have a tendency uh, more and more as time goes on If I'm making a small change to the code, I will sometimes just get an intuitive idea of, oh, yeah, this is what I'll do. And I will make the change, uh, come up with a couple of test cases to pretty thoroughly uh, exercise. Okay, so I guess Clay is testing. I'll run the tests, and if it passes the tests, I'm good to go. I'll ship it like that. Now, my anal retentive nature makes me suspect of that. Um, And when I was... When I was younger, I was a lot more sort of logical and sequential and um, didn't trust intuition. As I've gotten older, I've learned much more to trust my gut instinct. Um, so my, my anal retentive nature is rearing its ugly head here and making me think, hmm, I should read through this code more. So I'm just curious. Um, you guys are experienced coders. When you're working in that situation, do you just find there are times that you're just operating more intuitive like that, like that, and that's just uh, that's the way it's done sometimes, and that's okay? Or should I be as anal retentive as I think I ought to be? Thanks. Let me know what you think, guys. Keep up the great work. Love the show. Thanks. That's a that that is definitely related because yeah. I think when I read that blog entry from you, Will, uh, what you were basically saying was, look, I've shipped products in the real world. And this is what I find to work on my products that I've actually shipped. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to really, I mean, not everybody does things the same way, granted, but you're doing it a certain way and seeing success. And you certainly have strong opinions about what works and what doesn't with regards to shipping delicious, delicious library. Yeah. And I think I mean, Joel, 
Yeah. Joel has mentioned the same thing too. In terms of Joel's a big advocate of like human testers as well, aren't you, Joel? I mean, well, you have a whole I, blog entry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I would say that 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 you, you first of all you have to have some level of human testing because there's certain things. Uh, people accuse me of harping on this, but I, I will continue to harp on it. <laughs> that there is not yet a solution to to user interface testing other than humans yeah. trying something. Yeah. Uh, well, just the know, intuitive approach. Like, basically, what that question was saying was there's well, the intuitive approach, and then the, there's the programmatic yeah. approach. And, like, there's not that much overlap between the two, right? That, I mean, is, intuitive. There's that great book called The Intuitionist about the two schools of elevator repair, of elevator inspectors. Did you ever read that? It's worth reading. Colin White, I oh. think, is the name of the author. It's called The I'll Intuitionist. Have to put that in the show notes. And there's sort of a, a big, uh, in, the, in the New York City Department of Elevator Inspections, it's a novel, it's a little bit sci fi. There are two schools of thought, and they're kind of at war. Uh, the one school of thought is that you have to examine the elevators to make sure that they're safe, and then there's the intuitionists who kind of close their eyes and intuit whether or not the elevator is safe and everything is working. And the intuitionists, uh, awkwardly, just to make things a little bit difficult, the intuitionists are having a slightly higher, ever so slightly higher, success rate uh, than the than the empiricists who are actually, uh, um, you know, measuring and looking and inspecting. So it's not an open and shut case in this novel, of course, in the real world. I think the intuition is not really a good way to make sure that an elevator is safe. But, (laughs) you know, there's sort of something about that intuitive code testing, which is I think that, honestly, when you have 20 years of of experience in coding, your your instincts and your brain are just telling you what's important to study twice and what's not. And, you know, you can kind of get a lot more work done if you don't spend time being anal retentive about every single thing and you kind of allow your experience to guide you to focus on improving quality and in the areas where it's most risky. I mean, sometimes you're writing code and you say, okay, this is going to be really tricky. I know this is not going to be right. I better study this 10 times uh, to make sure it's right. And sometimes you're just like, you know, nothing can possibly go wrong here. And if it does, I'll find out in a minute and I'll fix it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the role of intuition as you get... Uh more experience with coding is is exactly that, and I think that that really underscores something for me that I'm sort of thinking about, which is it's not so much that intuition has taught me uh, what to do in any given situation, but it's taught me when I'm doing something risky, and I've just I have got an incredibly acute sense now mm-hmm. of when I have probably added a bug to the code mm-hmm. because I've touched something that's dangerous, as opposed to Oh, I touched something that's completely benign, and I'm pretty sure it's it's good, and that lets me focus my testing. And I, I mean, I just actually did this exact thing where I ran a, a static code analyzer on Delicious Library to prepare for the two one release, which is coming up. And uh, and Apple has this neat tool that'll run through your code and actually sort of pretend to run it, but not quite. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it it'll actually tell you if you've got leaks in it, and it's really good. It's really amazing. Like it'll point out all these flaws. Does it? Um, so can it tell you if your program will halt? Yeah. No. It actually it'll <laughs> tell you. Uh, it'll tell you uh, based on it. It actually Sorry, can no. prove that p equals np. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I was super oh impressed with this thing. That's wow. it. I'm um, switching to Macintosh. I know, right? Remember, remember, kids. Macintosh. The one to remember. But um, <laughs> but so and so I'm I'm fixing up some bugs, and at one point I'm in some code I'm not really sure about, and I'm trying to you know fix some memory leaks. And I'm just thinking to myself, you are currently breaking publishing. You're doing that. Just, you know, remember that you're breaking publishing right this second because, mm-hmm. because you know you are. Like, you can't just do this blind. You can't go into some code that you haven't looked at in a long time and fix a memory leak and not break something. Yep. 
and uh, and then two months later, and you know, fast forward to, to to last week, I'm actually literally writing one of my just below VP level contacts at Apple. And you know, you only get to do this like you know a couple times in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm writing him, and I'm like, hey, uh, you guys, you know, dot Mac is totally broken. Uh, worked before and you know this is this is just completely I don't know what you want me to do because I depend on this and I really need this for my product so I'm really looking for advice because I just nothing works and, did you, did uh, you use the uh, in the old days when I was on the Apple uh, the the Excel Macintosh team we used to say well if you don't fix this for us we're just going to have to look for other platforms to develop for maybe we won't develop for Macintosh <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, over the years, I've, I've learned to be a little more polite when I pull that because you know, it, keep, <laughs> it keeps turning out. I mean, that's the other thing you learn from experience is that, you know, 99% of the time it's your fault and the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and literally, and I had thought, you know, in my defense, I had sort of asked my team to test this bug and I hadn't been clear enough to them that, no, when I say test the bug, I mean, go back to the shipping version and test it versus, mm-hmm. so they were. So they both tested on the exact same beta I did and both reported, yep, it doesn't work. And I thought, oh, shit, this is really broken. So then, you know, like two minutes later, I, I tested it again on the on the shipping version and it works fine. And I realized, oh, my God, no. You know, the <laughs> two months ago when you fixed the memory leak, you really did break it just like you thought. And I didn't make a note of it at the time. And so I'd forgotten it that I would, you know, that I was pretty sure I was going to break it. And, you know, and it was just a reversed comparison, you know, just one little line of if not, instead of if, and everything worked fine. And so I had to write this apology mail saying, I am so sorry. This is 100% my fault. It's nothing to do with you. I am so sorry. So I always used to put, whenever I did that, I would put a comment in the code. I would just write slash slash undone, and then I would write a comment in the code. And then I would sort of grip for those things all the time. Yeah, my problem is, uh, no matter what comment I use, I eventually get so many that it just becomes. Right. <laughs> That's what I was so then I, I skip to another one. I'm like, to do, warning, fix me. And, you know, <laughs> and then you just get depressed. You know, you look through your program and every three lines, like, warning, yeah. I don't know about this, fix me, this looks bad. It is kind of weird because you are, you know, and then you ship the product and it's fine. <laughs> Nobody complains. Yeah, that so what scares like, me okay, too. So these things couldn't really be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> And that is and sort then of after, an empirical, you know, it's, it, in addition to being intuitionist, you're also being an empiricist, which is like, I know about all these bugs. But lo and behold, nobody said anything, so. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got you've to prioritize. I mean, I don't, I don't write medical software for exactly that reason, because I know there are some bugs in my program when it ships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also know that the severity of them is not that great, and the likelihood of them is incredibly small. Right. But if I were shipping medical software where a guy would die, uh, you know, I would have to be going through every damn line and making sure and I just want yeah. to do that. I just want to point out that I have the ultimate blog entry for this. It's the first rule of programming is it's always your fault. It's don't blame words, the compiler. Yeah, like always look at your code like have it like documented to like the assembly code level that you're doing everything correctly before yeah. going to the it's a problem with the library or it's a problem with the operating system. Right? I don't know. I used to think that for years and years and years and years and years until Java. Well then came you get out. burned. You do get burned, <laughs> but just you get to cover your yes. pieces. It's just responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean even when you think you're right, like Will thought he was right. I mean everybody sure. makes mistakes and uh just it's tough. But yeah. Well I, I did it right recently. I was really proud because I actually I did the the opposite thing where um I like I went uh, the iPhone talk I recently gave um, at for, for in San Francisco. They uh, I had just visited Apple and and talked to their you know evangelism and WDR teams and 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 I found the right approach, which was like I went in and I was like, 
show me what I'm doing wrong here because I'm getting these really bad results. Mm-hmm. And so just show me how to use the tools correctly. And, uh, and, you know, and I honestly did. I did not think it was, it was their fault, but, um, turned out it was totally their fault. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and they gave me one line of code. They were literally like, oh, here's one line of code to, uh, to fix this. And, uh, and, uh, it was just magic, but it was nice because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go in just like, your stuff is crap and I hate this. I was just like, well, well I must, I must be using this wrong. So. This is, you know, this is, reminds me of something I read this week, uh, I don't remember where it was, but the, you know, MIT recently changed their introduction course that everybody takes to learn programming, the very first course. For years and years and years, it had been, uh, it's uh, taught by uh, Hal Abelson and uh, uh, Abelson and Sussman. And they have a book called The Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programming, and it's written in Scheme. And it's uh, what they called a very bottom up approach to computation. So you're thinking about computation at the lowest level, and you sort of build from there. And uh, that was really the introduction, and it was kind of an awesome course because it served as sort of the perfect weed-out for people who just are not going to be able to deal with certain programming concepts. Uh, but uh, and, and it was all very interesting. It was, a good, it was a good course, and it's still a great way to learn programming. Uh, but they recently replaced that with a course that happens to be taught in programming in which your job it, – it's a course about programming robots to run around and do things in the real world. They do the programming in Python because that's the language that their robots – speak i guess they come from <laughs> python land i don't know <laughs> they don't they don't have a particular affinity to that particular programming language it just happens to be a good language for programming these robots in and the great thing about robots is you know the wheels slip and just the the apis are badly documented and everything is kind of you, you, you can't really program anymore from the bottom up you have to program experimentally you know you have to devise an experiment see if some code will work and before you run it you have no idea if it's going to work in the real world you just have to try it and see see what comes out and that's what really what um gui programming windows programming any kind of api programming uh at the top level has been like almost since the beginning of time like there's really a frustrating yeah. effort with badly written documentation or incomplete documentation uh and just all kinds of complicated interactions that you forgot about you didn't think about uh uh, and, and, and kind of library programming. And they sort of thought that was a more realistic uh, introduction to the, the art of, pro- of computer programming was trying to make these robots do something in Python rather than, you know, building another factorial function in Scheme. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really true. Ninety, You know, 97% of your time as a professional programmer is not going to be spent going, well, I sure need to invent another hash table. You know, I mean, there <laughs> you know, there's friggin' libraries for them, A, and B, it's just not that hard to do yeah. once yeah. but you know, all your time is spent saying oh shit why is my file getting truncated when i quit the program oh i actually do have to call f close explicitly or one out of every hundred times i'll get truncation and <laughs> Ooh, did that actually way, happen to you i'm really sorry about that delicious library to users <laughs> I've got that fixed in the next. well it's not it's not in the main file it's in a backup file and it, it just turned out that yeah it was Wow. You should write a unit <laughs> test for that, Will. That's yeah. the thing. You wouldn't have thought, what would have been the it unit test? caught it. Right? That, that would have been a perfect example of not catching it because uh, uh, it, it would have been memory resident at the time. And so it would have said, oh, yeah, here's the rest of the stuff. Because we've got, uh, I think, and I may be talking about Bob, but we have file mapped IO or memory mapped IO. So I think that last, that last block would have still been in memory if I'd read it back. 
We got a moment of silence for all the lost delicious delicious library data files. <laughs> well, it wasn't the main file, luckily. It was not the. It was not the, <laughs> you, uh, which is which is actually. I mean, because that's actually handled by Core Data, and this this error came about because it's been so long since I've written anything to deal with files because right. Uh, Apple just completely abstracted give you a different way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's so. I mean, it's so nice to like. That's one of those things where you know when you grow up and you know you learn. A C in the in the seventies, and you're you're programming little C programs, and it's just like the whole world is so different from those days. Yeah, like ninety percent of my code in the seventies, or I think any code was file I/O and uh, string manipulation because you know it's so hard to deal with strings back then. Sure, and now that's like point one percent. You know, like right. even on and you know the Apple's code, it's it's there's some really awesome things, and one of them is you know like if you want to. If you want to create a structured XML, uh, you know, an object that contains an XML file, but in a structured way where it, you know, it has a, you know, root object that has some children and you can ask the children for their tags and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to read it in off the network, it's, it's you know, an HTML file from off the network and it could be compressed. That's one line of code. Cool. And I'm like, this is really nice. Like, I really like that. It's, it's so nice to not deal with that crap. I just, you know, I like what Steve McConnell had the best way of summarizing. It. It's like you don't have to have like a, a cel- you know, a ceremony celebration every time C does what it's supposed to do. You know, <laughs> exactly. like ten lines of code for something just ultra trivial. You know, it's like, whoa, you did it. See, good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> does uh, all right? We should uh, we should uh, go on to a Stack Overflow question. Does anybody have yes. a? Will do you have a Stack Overflow question you want to talk yeah, about? There was a there's a kind of neat one, and it's funny because um. There's a there's a famous uh, Cocoa programmer uh, named uh, Daniel Chalcott. Oh yeah, I know him. He worked on uh, Co- Copilot for the Macintosh. Ah, uh, cool. Um, and he, uh, so he he was on he 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 went on a Twitter rant recently. He's sort of the grumpy old man of the. Uh, I mean, I think he's younger <laughs> than me, but he's the grumpy old man of our of our group. Um, Except for like Gruber, of course. Um, <laughs> well, that's Gruber beyond, beyond grumpy, actually. <laughs> yeah, he lives. Uh, Gruber lives in a trash can, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, he does. He really. He's. he's <laughs> oh my! Um, but uh, so so he went on this this Twitter just tear and uh, and also a Stack Overflow tear, and so he, there's a question uh, where somebody says, uh, "What's what's the what number? Does, what does at private mean? The number on this." Where would I find this number? In the URL. In the oh, URL. oh, there it is. <laughs> In the URL. 844-658. Follow along at home. What does that private mean in Objective-C? And, uh, and that's like, you know, um, I mean, it's true. That's like on the sort of second page of the Objective-C book. Yeah. So it's kind of one of the things where you're like, well, you know, uh, you, you should have you know, seen that on the second page for trying to do this. So I don't know how I feel about this, but this became a big uh, a big controversy because oh, uh, you can see Daniel's response immediately and down below, he's just like... Daniel this Punk is Ass is Daniel Jalcut? Yeah, because, you know, he knows he's kind of a punk ass. He's a punk ass. Um, uh, so, so, so he's just like, this is incredibly lazy uh, <laughs> research and ask a more detailed question. And one of the problems was the question originally was different. It was actually originally, um, what does private mean in Coco? And then yeah. somebody pointed out that's not really it's actually Objective C. Yeah, and so then it it became a little more. But he, but Daniel's just kind of like you know, you should 
you, know, you should read a book before going to Stack Overflow. And everybody else is kind of like, well, no, not necessarily. It's yeah. So I don't know. I'm, oh, I see. There's guys, a lot of. I, I'm going to weigh in on this strongly. Actually, the goal of we always said the goal of Stack Overflow is to be like a Wikipedia for programming questions. And the programming questions, like like no matter how easy the newbie question is, it's it's legit on, on Stack Overflow. Uh, you know, we very much explicitly at the beginning told everybody. This is not a place to say RTFM. This is not a place to say why don't you read the manual. This is a place oh, wow. to provide answers, right? So, so, so well, very much. So very Daniel Jalkett is just wrong. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, you know, there's I a Wikipedia know. article wait, wait, wait. somewhere. There's somewhere there's a Wikipedia article about bread. You know, how do you not know what bread is? Well, it's still a good article. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of that's kind of the thought. Is like you can make something, and this guy a stupid actually... question can lead to a very good answer. Yeah. Well, that is true. That is yeah. true. I've seen some really bad, bad questions that A, get whipped into shape, which yeah. is nice to see. And then B, you can get some actually surprisingly insightful answers that will actually teach you something you didn't know about something really simple. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be totally unequivocal about this. My vision for Stack Overflow is that there are a lot of programmers that learn programming nowadays by page faulting. They don't read the books. It, yes, they don't even exactly. get to page two. Yep. No, I, I totally... I totally agree with that. I think the, it's... And the page faulting is I, I try doing something, I see something oh. maybe in a sample piece of code, I go to Google and I say what is you know, I type in that question and I just want those people to come to Stack Overflow where there's a nice well edited like wiki like question. I think, I think page faulting is a is a hilarious term for it. I I always thought it was kind of parrot programming <laughs> where you're just you're learning to say sounds without knowing what they mean, but then you know, sometimes you get a cracker and you're like Oh, well, <laughs> apparently, yeah. if I say burr, 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 you get a cracker, and you're like, "Oh, well, now I know this." And eventually, I mean, that's how we learn language, yeah. like you know, English. We don't we don't sit down with the manual. You know, you never say to your mom, "You know, I want straw bapple, you know, ice cream," and she goes, "Read the fucking manual. It's not straw bapple." <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be awesome. if your mom ever said to you, "Read the fucking manual," that would be uh, that would be the ultimate <laughs> childhood will, the ultimate. Well. <laughs> My mom kind of did, honestly. I mean, seriously, she, yeah, my mom was pretty tough. I mean, it was like, it was, you know, she, it was like, what does this mean? She'd go, look it up in the dictionary. You know, don't be lazy. These like, comments oh. spilled into the answer. They just I'm like, three. Um, yeah, I just, you know, the flame war continues on to the answer. Um, th- this is, we had, uh, in the early days, we had some very, very simple questions. And actually, I would love to see a bunch of people who are listening to this podcast go in there and think about, you know, you know, what's your easiest programming question what's the what's the first question you would have if you were a noob uh learning how to program what would be those confusing things do you really have to make the braces match i don't know what the heck does private mean what does public mean what does friend mean and uh uh post them as questions and 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 let's see what what good answers we get because that's that that's the truth is i mean i'm kind of selfish i want a lot of traffic for stack overflow because that's how i know stack overflow is successful so I want, you know, I want to, I want to have these canonical little articles about every possible topic on programming. Well, I, yeah, I, mean, I will point out I that the there's actually there's one class of questions even la- much much lazier than this. This is actually answerable, right? This is like sure. okay, it's a simple concept. Yep. It's, it's a simple question. It's short. People will come in and ask these these multi paragraph questions. They're basically do my homework for me or do my job for me. Right. Or like here's you some know? code. Could you can you help me debug this? Yeah. How do I just solve do all this work? You know, they they don't have like a little snippet. This is just a snippet. It's like, okay, what's the, t- explain this one concept to me. It's very tight. It's very focused, right? Granted, it's very simple, but hey, sometimes it's fun to answer simple questions. You know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is easy. I know this. I'm going to give you a really good answer because it's no problem versus how do I do this really complicated thing that takes me three paragraphs to explain that I haven't even fully explained and yep. 
Oh, those are the worst kinds of questions. Sure, so I can, and, I can and imagine... also those those questions, those bad questions, Jeff, that you're describing, are going to have no value whatsoever to future Google yes. searchers because yes. it's just Nobody your specific be doing... blob of code yeah. that you need to write. Yeah, nobody's going to be doing what you're doing. They don't right. have your specific problem, you know. So, so, so I can you... see where Daniel got into this mode because I mean that was the the RTFM was the de facto number one thing in the FAQ of every single Usenet group, right? Like, do not ask questions that have ever been asked ever in the history of time. Do not ask questions that haven't answered because, and there was a reason for that, which is in Usenet, you couldn't get the old timers to hang around if you were going to keep asking the same questions over and over again because the old timers would get bored. And the old timers were the, you know, they were the click and power. And so they controlled the fact and they wrote in the FAQ, do not ask questions that we've seen before. And it was weird, Complang C, you know, 20 years ago, Complang C, you know, the only kind of questions that wouldn't get flamed were the most esoteric things in the world. And so it wasn't a great place to go if you just needed help learning how to program in the C programming language. Yeah, absolutely not. And uh, that's not what we want in Stack Overflow at all. We feel like the the uh, users get a choice of what questions they look at. There's so many questions on there. It's possible to find questions that you're going to find interesting and entertaining, even if you're not interested in the in the simple questions anymore. And we have a very strong deduplication mechanism to prevent dupes, both uh, the community doing it, but but also just because uh, when you type in your question, we'll, we'll search. And so we, we probably get fewer dupes than somebody like Usenet would where there was no – in the original Usenet, there was absolutely no – you didn't even have the archives. You know, until Deja News, there's 15 years of Usenet. You, only, you could only look at the last 21 days or something depending on your local site system administrator. So there, there wasn't there, – there, dupes would come up and they would annoy people. So we already have pretty good deduping relative to those old days. Uh, and 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 that means that you know it would be great to have one instance of every possible programming question that anybody might have while trying to learn a programming language. Well, we also have just a better UI. I mean, Usenet has a really horrid UI, and that was really sure. the root problem. Well, it was a conversation so thing, not a Q and A thing, sort of. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But but it's a blend. I want to be clear that you know Joel is, is always talking about how you know this is the Wikipedia of programming, and I don't think that's entirely true. I think there's flavors of Wikipedia to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's not. A hundred percent map. We're this weird hybrid system. We're trying oh, sure. to have it both yeah. ways. It's not exactly and Wikipedia, think, but uh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's this tension between the things that we're doing that are Wikipedia-like and the things that we're doing that are about the individual user, like reputation systems. There's no reputation system on Wikipedia, for example. Um, there probably should be actually in the big scheme of things, but that's a different topic. So we're in a sort of a no man's land. We're trying to solve this problem by juggling these two opposing forces and sometimes things don't fit i mean there's definitely gray areas that we acknowledge in the system so yeah i mean i think i think you guys are trying a noble fight which is you know you're you're trying once again to solve the the dig problem and i think it was clever of you to i mean clever or accidental who knows um (laughs) to pick a a domain that 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 actually can sort of be solved because you know the problem with dig is it's very easy to you know, sort of. Well, as soon um, as it gets to be like a political question or a perspective oh, yeah. question, point of view. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this is why we're so well, down on discussion. And people are like, oh, you have to add discussion to the system. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> this is the whole reason we don't have discussions. Right, we right. Well, have the problem with Dig is, is it quickly became clear to people that manipulating it would result in huge financial gain, right? Theoretically. And, yes. and well, I've, I know people that have done it and, and, you know, have millions of dollars because oh. of it. Um, <laughs> Wow, really? Uh, yeah. No, I thought I that mean, they always said that the dig traffic was worthless traffic. They're, they're, they're drive-by shooters. They. I I know some people that just they they sort of launch their career by doing dig manipulation and hmm. 
and just, you know, very quickly in a matter of months became sort of, you know, industry spokespeople. And I was like, wow, oh, right. really impressed. <laughs> um, but you guys are sort of, you know, somewhat immune to that because, you know, getting a reputation on Stack Overflow doesn't necessarily lead to fame and fortune yet. But I worry, you know, I do worry about the day that, that you get, you know, I don't know, maybe there'll never be a critical mass of programmers that's so big that it's like worth pursuing, you know, essentially worth defrauding the system in order to get fake reputation, right? Uh, yeah. Because that's how DIG worked, right? Is you'd sort of... Sure, know, yeah. You'd yeah, get yeah. some group of like 40, 50 people to all, you know, DIG with their 12 accounts and, and you're good yeah, to Yeah, I don't go. think so because we're not really fundamentally pointing to something outside of Stack right. Overflow. You know, you know and, and as much as I would love to be, you know, sort of the head honcho on Stack Overflow and be <laughs> number one with the trophies, I don't... I'm not willing to put in the, uh, you know, the, the fraud time to do it. Uh, yeah, sure. that would be I'd John rather. Skeet. Uh, no, actually, I don't think he's defrauding it. He's actually putting in the time to, to actually earn it. And I would like to announce, by the way, if you are at the Dev Days, Stack Overflow Dev Days in London, uh, John Skeet has announced that he will be there, so you'll get to meet him. <laughs> you can get he's, autographs. He, That's awesome. He's number one on the on the stats. Yeah, he's been, yeah, he's he been our number one for a while. Yeah. He just likes to answer questions. I mean, he's, and he's really good at it. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the system really optimizes for a certain class of behavior. And if, if you enjoy that type of behavior, you're going to do really well on Stack Overflow. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, because, I think I mean, you guys, you know, you deserve a lot of credit for designing a system that really, that really works within itself. You know, it's not, uh, yep. you know, it's not, it's not trying to be Wikipedia entirely. It's trying to be, you know, Wikipedia for programming, but you, you added this extra layer, which makes it really, you know, self-governing very well. And yep. it's, it was amazing how quickly, uh, you know, I mean, because I, 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 uh, I talked with Jeff about it initially when he was first launching it. And, uh, you know, he was like, check it out. And I'm like, sure, I'll check it out in my cozy spare time. <laughs> and then, um, but then, like, how quickly it just okay. came up in, you know, without me trying in my life. Yeah. Just... Well, no, no, no. You know, it's, it's, it's all about if Google says you're good, then the world believes you. That's what it basically comes down to. Hey, uh, guys, we're running, uh, we're running out of um, bits. <laughs> running out of bits. Oh, no. Oh, bits. So we're gonna bit. have to, I'm going to have to uh, call this to a, to a quick close. Uh, to our listeners, if you have any questions for a future show, please uh, send it, uh, record an MP3 or Og Vorbis file and email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com or call the podcast hotline 646-826-3879. There's also a transcript wiki where you can, uh, listeners from around the world, volunteer to record a transcript, and that uh, will be linked to from the show notes at blog.stackoverflow.com. If you're interested in that conference I mentioned, that Stack Overflow Developer Days, uh, sign up quickly because we only got 300 seats in each of those five cities. Uh, you can read more about that right now on jolensoftware.com or go to stackoverflow.carsonified.com. Uh, and we'll also link to that from the show notes as usual. Uh, thank you very much, Will. Thanks for being on. That was so much fun. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. My 8 gigabyte memory card, which has nothing on it, I tell you nothing, uh-huh. suddenly uh-huh. Uh, filled up. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Ooh. That's weird. Okay. Is that going to happen again? Um. Why are you yeah, filling about memory? an hour? <laughs> oh, you have, you have piece of hardware. I, well, yeah, I, I record to a little uh, SD card. I see, and it just filled up. But I had, I had erased it before the podcast as a part of my standard procedure. So I wonder if there's something about flashcards that, like, when you erase things, it just puts them in. Oh, I erased it with a Macintosh. <laughs> you didn't empty the trash after you erased it, right? That's what happened. Are you serious? Are you? Yep. I thought you were joking. Nope. Wow, okay. Normally right. I am smart enough to erase it with a 
Windows computer. Or empty the trash afterwards. Yep. Empty the trash. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Charles Lane. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.